coming up on today's show, we have totally accurate playoff predictions. I guarantee the Eagles are going to lose. I guarantee the Raiders are going to lose. We talk all the head coaching drama, and it's okay to have thought that Tua Tungabailoa was going to be a better pro than Justin Herbert. So he was wrong in the most important opinion and decision that he made, and he saved his job. And Dave Damashek helps us find love for some quarterback needy teams. I also do like the 2015 menage a trois. It's not either Marcus or Jameis. It's the two of them coming together <laughs> to make to make our yeah. football town sing. All of that and much, much more on the Palm d'Or winning podcast, The Tom and Hawk Football Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the world-famous Tom and Hawk Football Show presented by the good folks over at Amazon Music. I'm joined. As always, by my partner in crime, 10-time Pro Bowler, Joe Thomas in the building. Joe, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Just looking forward to a sweet slate of playoff football this weekend. Mm. Uh, Super wild card, but uh, I think they need a new name for that because it is super. It's amazing, but it just seems like a lame name for such a cool slate of football games. The first round of the playoffs, we got Saturday football, we got Sunday football, and they're even giving us Monday playoff football. I can't remember if they did that last year or not, but I'm going to pretend this is the first time ever, and it sounds amazing. I think it is the first time ever, and you're right. It, it does sound very Washington football teamy as far as an effort goes. <laughs> like, what could we call the new wild card weekend? What if we called it super? All right, meeting super. adjourned. Let's Everybody just throw a super in front of that, and people <laughs> will believe us. Yeah, I agree, but it is cool. I mean, I was very against the extra game. Like when everyone was talking about the, you know, the week 18 and the 17th game of the season and, you know, creating extra playoff spot. But it is pretty cool to have more football. I think, you know, we'll all look back and be like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. One thing I wish they would do is add another bye week. I think that would lengthen the season. The players would enjoy it. You don't have to play more games, but it would just give us more weeks of football. And I think it would keep the excitement that we still have by playing all these division games towards the end of the NFL season with as much parody as going on in the NFL, yeah. it would just give us more of what we want. And I think there would be no downside. So I would love to see him add that extra uh, bye week next season or maybe in the following seasons, but who knows? I mean, players would love that. The players would love players it. Players would love that too. How friendly does the NFL have to play with NBA? Like, do they, is there like a friendly type of relationship i feel like there used to be but the since the nfl has clearly gone like two three four x above what nba popularity is major league baseball popularity is Mm -hmm. they've pretty much just said a big f you to all the other pro sports (laughs) since you notice this year they played on christmas day like several games on christmas day whereas yeah that was the basketball's territory that was the only date on the calendar that the nfl was happy to just allow hey nba you guys got christmas day we're gonna give everybody in the nfl just a a little bit of a break so even if christmas day is on a sunday we'll play those games on saturday so you guys can have christmas day but this year they said oh no 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 we got christmas day now nba sorry we know that nobody cares about the nba until the playoffs show up (laughs) and so we're gonna take advantage of that we're gonna schedule games on christmas day uh nba be damned and that, that's my question, because this year it goes Super Bowl weekend, and then the following weekend is NBA All-Star, and that's like the big thing for the NBA. So if we yeah. add another bye week or a week to the season, and which <laughs> we will be because just we're going to have 18 games here soon, they're just going to be stepping on the toes of the NBA like, look, man, you, know, you can figure it out in June, but 
we're just going to keep stretching the season until we feel like we can't anymore. You know what's going to happen then? The NBA is going to have to just move their season back because <laughs> the big dogs on the block, that's the NFL. Uh, what bullies? Um, I had a little scare this week. I'm still trying to. So oh, I had a. I, so, you know, I don't leave the house, Joe. And everyone know who that. knows me still knows I bunkered down. I've been bunkered down in my garage for a, the better part of two years now. Like I, there's like extreme versions of mm-hmm. quarantine safety precaution. And then there's me two steps past there, right? Like <laughs> when they write the uh, mm-hmm. pandemic in the new Bible 2,000 years from now, they're going to tell the story of the most precautious person on planet Earth. And it's going to be me. <laughs> I'm going to be the person in the pandemic Bible story. Mm-hmm. But so it was my wife's birthday. And I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's go out to get something. I call the babysitter that we haven't called in a year and a half plus, right? She comes over watches the kids. I take my wife out to dinner. I do the good husband thing, right? Because I'm working 24-7. I do 7,000 shows. And of course, I get the text message. Two days later, her fiance tested positive. She was negative, but her fiance... And I'm like, of course, the one time... <laughs> the one time! I decided to stick my head out of my turtle shell. Yeah, so, that's great. And I hate talking COVID, but I am very interested because you are easily the most risk-averse COVID person I've ever yes, met in my entire easy. life. So being that you did have that close contact and you've somehow survived, um, uh, has that changed your outlook on what you're going to do from this point going forward? And my second question, because it's kind of linked together, is are you still wiping down your mail? Because that's the, the question that yes. I love to ask you. Every time <laughs> we talk, like, do you still take that alcohol wipe out and just wipe everything down before you touch it? I don't wipe the mail anymore. All right. I don't wipe so the you, mail. So you progress slowly. You're like, uh, if you've ever slowly, seen the movie, yeah. what about Bob? You are Bob. <laughs> like you're slowly moving away from total insanity. Yeah, but this the scare was like, you know what? This is why you don't leave the house. <laughs> it just only reinforced your yeah, fear and your anxiety. Down. I love it. You were double right down. in the very beginning. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, let's, let's get into some football talk, which is a little more fun. The regular season came to an end on Sunday, right? And now we have all our playoff teams and everyone is talking about the matchups this week. So we wouldn't be us if we didn't make some very bad predictions yes. that we barely ever get right. <laughs> yes. um, so, Joe, we got some matchups for you in a super wild card round. And I want you to tell me who you got here, and then I'll I'll follow up on each game to you and give my pick. All right, we got the Raiders at the Bengals. Who you got? Yeah, I like the Bengals in this one. I think this is the one that America's going to pick. It's going to go exactly as we expected. The Bengals, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase playing lights out football, defense playing pretty well. Raiders, they snuck in, and I love Derek Carr. I say he's the most criminally underrated quarterback mm. in the NFL, and God bless the Raiders faithful if they get rid of Derek Carr because they're only going to realize how good they had it uh, if he ever leaves. And so I think the Bengals win this one, though, because they're just a more well-rounded team. And the Raiders, they just feel lucky to be there right now. I do think that the Bengals win this one. I think they have the edge as roster. And I also think they have the coaching edge, even though the interim head coach for the Raiders has done a really good job. Yeah, Bisaccia has done a great job. He's done an awesome job. Patriots at Beals. Uh, I like the Bills in this one. I think we've seen that Mac Jones is great as a game manager, but he just doesn't have enough experience under his belt to be able to take that next level of understanding of how the defense is attacking him to be able Mm -hmm. to make those quick adjustments on the field. Like if things happen the way it was practiced, like, okay, we draw it up there in cover five here and I'm supposed to go to this guy. Boom. I can hit that throw. But if he has to do anything off schedule, he's not an athlete to be able to do that. 
And when he gets a little bit confused, he is risk averse, which is a good thing to have in a rookie quarterback, especially when you have a good run game and a good defense. You don't want to just turn the ball over a ton. But if he gets in those scenarios, he's not able to efficiently move the ball down the field because he can't complete passes when it's not a good picture in his own mind. And you couple that with the Bills playing good and Josh Allen just really humming along now that they've found a little bit of a run game. So this, this one's the Bills all the way. All right. I got the, I got the Patriots. Um, oh, wow. I feel like. You know, beat Bill Belichick once, shame on you. Beat him twice, shame on him. I don't think that actually The, the oldest saying that. in the book. They don't have Brian Flores. And if you ain't Brian Flores, you ain't beating Belichick twice in one season. <laughs> I like that. All right, Eagles at Buccaneers. Who you got? Uh, Bucks in this one. Tom Brady, you don't bet against him in the playoffs. Yeah, that's an easy one, especially not at the Super Wild Card weekend. Not, not when it's that super. Uh, 49ers at Cowboys. Uh, I like the 49ers. This is that upset Whoa. that I would, I would definitely pick. I don't even know what the line are is on this one because as an NFL employee, I'm not allowed to bet on games, even though now they're sort of like nudging us towards talking about betting a little bit now that it's mostly legal. Um, but I think Kyle Shanahan gives the Cowboys a lot of problems. The Cowboys, they don't seem to play well um, when they have to play against like so- a team that does something really, really well because they're full of all these talented guys and they can totally shut down a mediocre team. But the 49ers are the best rushing attack in the NFL, especially when you consider how creative they are while they use the receivers with the jet motions and Debo Samuel being that jack of all trades. And I just think that that type of a rushing attack is going to give the Cowboys trouble. And then that settles Jimmy G into exactly the role that he's the best at, which is rushing attacks playing really well. All I have to do is make the throws that are there and they win that game. Each game, I always look at player matchups, coaching mm-hmm. matchups. Because yeah, that's what the playoffs is. It's all about matchups. The Cowboys have the advantage from a player standpoint, but I think the San Francisco 49ers have the coaching edge, even though there's a guy who won a Super Bowl on the other sideline. I still feel like from a game plan standpoint, what the 49ers have done with their roster and being able to kind of weather the, weather the storm throughout the year, I just think it's very impressive. So that one's a toss-up to me. If I had to pick right now, I'm going to go Cowboys because I do think that mm. if those oh, players another one are giving their up. best and they're playing, mm. and all the players playing at their top game, I think mm. the Cowboys get the edge. Steelers at Chiefs, this seems like an easy one. Yep, I like the Chiefs. We don't have to go too deep into this one. Yeah, me too. Cardinals at Rams, probably the most evenly matched yeah. matchup of super wild card weekend mm. matchups. Yeah, this is a fun one to me. This is definitely must-watch TV, as you could tell in my voice. Uh, because you look at these teams, they're kind of mirror images of each other, right? They have mm-hmm. a, an up-and-down offense, an up-and-down defense. When they're at their best, they can compete with anybody in the NFL. Like, if you take the Packers, who I think everybody agrees is the best team in the NFL, and you put them on their best day, and then you put the Cardinals and the Rams on their best day, those are three teams that are evenly matched. And I don't think any team in the NFL has that high ceiling because they're so well-balanced with talent on offense, talent on defense. They can scheme you up on offense. They can blitz you to death on defense. But it's that inconsistency. So it's whoever shows up in this day, they're going to win that game. I like the Cardinals. I'm going to go back because of my bias during the season as they were my favorite team for like two thirds <laughs> of the season. I think Kyler Murray really has a breakout season in the playoffs where he really makes a stamp on the NFL. And I think it starts this weekend at the LA Rams. All right. Quick, quick, quick picks here. Who has the toughest road to the Super Bowl out of all these matchups? Oh, man. Um, it's going to be going through the NFC and I'm going to say it's the Cowboys, um, because they're got to play the 49ers. And then depending on how the seating rank, you know, shakes out, then potentially they'd have to play the Packers and then maybe the Rams or the, the Cardinals or the Bucks. Like 
it is a slog to get yeah. through the NFC if you're going to get to the Super Bowl. And I think the Cowboys, with the inconsistency that they play with, would have the hardest time to get to the Super Bowl, even though if they play really well and they're hot, they definitely have the talent and the ability uh, and the scheme to be able to get there. I think it's the Eagles, just because they're not as good as the other teams. Oh, that was coming in hot. I'm just saying. They have the hardest road because they're not as good. Yeah, I mean, if, it's like if there's one team that I'm like, that I, I, I'm going to give a round of applause to for making it to this point, of all those teams, it's the Eagles. Like, it's already a successful season for you. And the reason why I feel that way is because you probably shouldn't be here. You overachieved. And it, you'll be outmatched no matter who you play from now all the way to L.A. if you made it to the Super Bowl. So I'm going to go with the Eagles. Give me your lock. Lock pick of the week. What game are you like? I guarantee this team is going to lose. I guarantee the Eagles are going to lose. I guarantee the Raiders are going to lose. And I guarantee the Steelers are going to lose. Guaranteed Raiders is a bold one. Steelers, Eagles, I feel you. I feel like the Raiders and Bengals are more evenly matched than you're giving it credit for. No, I think they are. But my point is that I'm picking against maybe what America would think. And so I feel really good about it. How much of an advantage do players have when playing at home in the playoffs? You know, based on my <laughs> wide swath of experience in the playoffs, um, I have no idea. <laughs> so there's a great answer. Let me yeah. answer. As someone yeah, who's ahead. played a home playoff game and go. lost, I also have no idea because I was 0-3. <laughs> I lost on the road. I lost at yeah. home. So, yeah, we're not the podcast for this answer. Yeah, I, I think that playing at home or on the road in the playoffs i'm not sure if there's really much of an advantage or a disadvantage unless there's elements involved like if you're playing in uh, perfect conditions in florida and that's how your team is made up with like a bunch mm -hmm. of speedsters and that you want to fly around you want to stretch the field and play in space then i think that's who it favors um if you're a team that's more of a rushing team like maybe the eagles or even like the patriots and you get to play in cold weather in the great white north and it's snowing and it's blowing like then it, it's their advantage whereas i think playing in front of a home crowd or an away crowd doesn't really give you an enormous advantage one way or the other in the nfl because teams are a so good at playing when it's loud because you're so used to it and you've developed all these mechanisms with silent snap count and hand signals that you're used to doing throughout the season to be able to handle the loud noises um and there's no domes like domes are, are a different level of loud but mm -hmm. on, on top of that you hear so many players and this was my case too i'm sure it was with you like I love going into hostile environments. One of my favorite places to play in the NFL was Heinz Field because Steelers, Browns, fans hated each other. You go in there and people are throwing stuff at you. They're yelling at you. They're talking trash. You talk trash back to them. As long as you don't allow your focus to get dialed back because you're so intent on talking trash with the people in the crowd, it brings you an energy and I think it brings you closer as a team that it can actually offset any advantage that the home team would have. I think there is something to say about just being comfortable in your environment. And then maybe maybe it's placebo, but you do get a little bit extra, you know, confident being in your own house, I feel like. But it all depends on the matchup, right? Like the Chargers didn't make it in. But had the Chargers made it in and they matched up with the Raiders in L.A., that was going to be a Raiders home game. The San Francisco 49ers at the Rams the other day that I went to, it felt like a 49ers home game. The Steelers at Chiefs, the Steelers will have a considerable amount of fans there because some of these places are just like they have national fan bases. Well, Steelers fans, like, like Browns fans, they travel. 
Packers they fans, travel. they travel. Like there's some fan bases that they go and that's what they do for their vacations. That's what they mm -hmm. schedule their year around. And, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin, grew up a Packer fan. Whenever the Packers schedule came out, the first thing that Packer fans would look at is who do we play in end of November through December, January, that's in warm weather. Cause that's going to be my family's warm weather vacation to get out of the cold, <laughs> to go down there for a week. And so anytime the Packers played like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in December, you could bet that a lot of the crowd was going to be Packers fans because those fans were going to take that as their family warm weather vacation to get away from the snow and the cold. And they were going to go and support their team and have a great time. And the, the warm weather fans are going to be doing something else because they get warm weather all the time. That is, yeah. So the Raiders exactly. at Bengals game is what I'm looking at. I'm curious to see what that crowd composition will look like because I think it'll tell us a lot. When I played for the Bengals, we had a home playoff game and we did not sell it out. <laughs> they knew you guys were going to lose. That's why. And and, it, and it, there wasn't. It didn't seem like much of an advantage mm -hmm. at at home. And so, and maybe it was a team. Maybe they knew we were going to lose. So, if, and, but if the Bengals sell this out, and it is at least 85% Bengals fans, that does tell you something about what the fans feel about Joe Burrow and like kind of this new generation yeah. of Bengals. But I'll be curious to see how that ends up. I think you're right. I think there's a hope with this new era of Bengals because of Joe Burrow at quarterback yeah. that the franchise probably hasn't seen since Carson Palmer still got there. I think by the time you were playing for the Bengals and you guys had your home playoff game and you couldn't sell it out, the fan base didn't believe in that team that they were going to go and make that run because Andy Dalton, I think, was your quarterback at that time. And you guys had already had a long run of losses in the playoffs with Carson Palmer and then Andy Dalton. And so the fan base just didn't believe in Andy Dalton that he was the guy that could take you all the way to the Super Bowl. Whereas with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, that the defense that's really pretty good. I think this fan base believes that if they get hot, like, right, you know, that old baseball saying, hey, if we get hot, we can do it. Like, they believe that this potentially could be, maybe not this year necessarily, but they definitely believe that they can win this game and go on a little bit of a run. And hey, you never know. You could get to that AFC Championship game. You could get to the Super Bowl. Uh, but there's a lot more belief in Cincinnati and a really skeptical fan base. So it will be fun to see if the Bengals are able to pack that house and turn it into a loud and hostile environment for Raiders fans. Coaches were being left at the laundromat on Black Monday. So I feel like a good way to end this segment of the show is to talk about all the coaches that have been fired so far and maybe doing a little bit of speculation about who's going to fill those jobs and where some of these guys potentially might find their next job. All right. We know we got in this at the taping of, of this Tom and Hawk football show episode, Vic Fangio with the Broncos. He's out. Mike Zimmer with the Viking out. Matt Nagy with the Bears, out. And in a surprise curveball out of left field no one saw coming, Brian Flores at the Miami Dolphins, who was 19 and 14 in the last two seasons. He is out. All right, so I still think there's probably going to be one or two others fired. Yeah. They're trying to get their ducks in a row. Um, mm -hmm. And heck, it might have happened by the time you're listening mm -hmm. to this. Mm -hmm. But at this moment, that's that's where we're at right now yeah i think we should start with maybe brian flores now that you've had a night to think about it and you've had like mm -hmm. seven shows to talk about it so you've yep. gotten lots of feedback from your co-hosts what do you think the dolphins were thinking when they shit can brian flores who's had two out of three years with a winning record who finished the season as the hottest team in the nfl who 
by all accounts, seems to have been doing a great job managing the team with that CEO role. He's done a fantastic mm-hmm. job getting those players prepared to play every single week. And really, the only reason this team hasn't gone further is because of the quarterback position. And Tua, who was drafted a couple years ago ahead of Justin Herbert, which was not Brian Flores' decision, has been a solid game manager. But that's where his ceiling sort of is. Yeah, I, I think I think it was a bad decision. I think like, I, I mean, if you are on social media, which you know, if you're not, where what the hell are you doing? But everybody is talking about like this was dumb. It's it's probably one of the very few times I've seen all of sports media aligned on a on a POV that firing Brian Flores was a stupid decision by the Miami Dolphins. And it does feel, I mean, I was like ten when it happened, but it does feel a little bit like uh, Modell letting go of Bill Belichick mm. a season after he went mm. at his team wow. at 11 and five. And actually Brian That's Flores fire. is a better case. That is fire. And that might be a lot, but like, if you get to see Brian Flores, his team played harder and better than their talent ever since he's been there. And mm-hmm. I think that is a testament to the coach and getting them motivated. Um, but beyond that, as I peeled the onion layers back, right. Mm. You start to think about it. So him and Chris Greer, the GM it's reported that they're bumping heads. Now, Chris Greer has done a good job, too. Now, yes, he picked Tua over Justin mm-hmm. Herbert. He's done a good job, except for the only one decision that he made, which was the most important decision of his life, of the franchise of the Miami Dolphins. He did a great job with all the singles that pretty much anybody else could make uh, a good decision on drafting, you know, decent talent. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's one, though. But I don't think Tua is that bad. I think Tua gets a really bad rap. No, he's not that bad, but his ceiling is low. And you knew that coming out. He had injury issues coming out. It was the injury And so issues. you drafted a guy fifth overall with a low ceiling. Prior to that, though, Joe, Tua was like, he was the can't-miss prospect. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's easy to use hindsight now and say, oh, man, turns out Johnny Manziel wasn't, it, it wasn't money Manziel time, right? But at the time, Tua was the guy. He put Jalen Hurts on the bench. He had Mac Jones on the bench, and no, everyone knew that was the right choice because he was balling in college. He got hurt. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe he's just a better college player than he is a pro. And yes, that was a miss. Justin Herbert is clearly has the higher ceiling and a better quarterback. But I try not to let the hindsight of things get into it. Now, if he reached for Tua or he reached for someone that nobody thought was good or going to be good, that would be a different story. So that being said, he has accumulated a bunch of picks. He's made some really good transactions. They have a, a, a lot of real estate to continue to build this team. And they're not starting from scratch because Brian Flores already has them winning games and playing well. But that being said, if these guys are buttonheads, you got your head coach and your GM not getting along. We've been in that situation plenty of times, you and I, Joe. And we know there's no way out. And we've seen owners whose philosophy is, if you guys can't get along, everybody get the hell out. Mm-hmm. But as I thought about it. It should be. The way it should be. But as I thought about it, there is, what, two black head coaches? I want to say two black GMs, and two of those are both in Miami. I'm thinking if <laughs> even if Miami was like, yo, I want to mm. kick them both out. Could you imagine mm-hmm. if they fired? The Fritz Pollard Alliance would not be very happy with, with that no decision. Context, and then right? replace them with a couple old white guys. That'd be perfect. And then they go get Joe Thomas. <laughs> they get Jim Harbaugh. And Mike Tannenbaum come back. <laughs> right. <laughs> they pull somebody from TV and get Jim Harbaugh. So I don't know how it'll end up, but I'm saying 
they had to pick one, and they were probably like, yo, let's go with the guy that I actually has, has been here for 20 years. Yeah, and he got the tenure. He probably got some naked pictures of the owner or something. What a great way to run your organization. Now, I, I got to go back to that Tua decision really quickly here. Right, because what I hear me. you saying is that the general manager role, of which I'm sure they're paying him more than a few dollars, is not important and that you should just go with whatever Mel Kuyper and uh, the draft gurus and the general fan consensus no. is for whoever the top pick is. Because that's what you're telling me. You're saying, well, everybody thought Tua was going to be the greatest quarterback, so I can't ding him for drafting Tua over Justin Herbert. When I say everybody, I'm not talking about civilians. I'm talking about scouts and like People who do this, they it wasn't like, oh my gosh, Miami is so dumb. How do you know what they think? They've never, scouts across the league, the guys that you know hold themselves up, watch the film and come up with a decision, uh -huh. they don't release their draft boards. So you have no oh, idea sorry, what people's Joe. perspective I'm was. sorry, Joe, you don't have any friends who are scouts or general managers okay. like I do. So the two guys I that you know that you are scouts both thought that Tua was better than Justin Herbert? No, Joe, what I'm saying is it wasn't a dumb pick. So what happens in the, in the first round? You have a tackle out of Wisconsin, right? He's dominated the Big Ten. He's six foot seven. He's 305 pounds. He's pretty athletic. Consensus across the board, they have him going from uh, pick three to pick seven, right? If that guy comes in and they don't know he's addicted to donuts, he can't keep his weight down. He ends up ballooning up to 426. <laughs> More likely cheese curds in Wisconsin. Like, yeah, but... it's, he's, a, he's a bust. But from an organizational standpoint, like those are the picks you go for in the first round. You take the safe bets. You don't take flyers. And if they don't work out, they don't work out. It doesn't matter yeah. how great you are. Like, as a scout, that's what you want to do. You kind of maintain your job that way by going with the guys that everyone feels good about. I know. And that's everything that's wrong with scouting. You make selections that give you plausible explanation when it doesn't work. Rather than yeah. going with who you think is going to be the best player for your team. You do the you same thing on TV. You go with a guy who's risk, you, you draft in a risk averse mindset saying, well, I'm gonna draft this guy because I'm not necessarily sure he's gonna be better than the other guy, but I know I have a good explanation if it doesn't work out so I won't get fired. Joe, that is called human nature. You do the that's, same thing on But television. that's what analytics is trying to root out of this, this game. Like, that's why you see so many more coaches going for it on fourth down, going for the two-point conversion, because they've realized over time that coaches have become, they've boxed themselves into this risk-averse mode where they're only going to make decisions that they feel like they can defend if it doesn't work out to their owners and to their fan base, not necessarily with a defense of, well, that was the best decision because of X, Y, and Z. It was, well, because I know that if I say I, I punted on fourth down or I did a quarterback sneak on third and eight like your Giants, uh, I feel like I can defend that because at least I didn't turn the football over and lose the game in that situation. So, okay, we're going to pass on the rest of that one. I want to go back to your <laughs> role as a GM. So right. if your role as a GM is not to select the best player that's available and to just go with the general consensus. What are you paying him for? If you're not paying him to decide and figure out that Justin Herbert is a better quarterback than Tua Tungavailoa, and he's just gone with whatever Mel Kuyper told him, what am I paying him for? Why are you even having a GM in that situation anyway? Because it's not a consensus. You still have things that you measure and you have an opinion on it. And it's okay to have thought that Tua Tungavailoa 
was going to be a better pro than Justin Herbert. And it's okay. So he was wrong to be in the wrong. most important he opinion and decision and that he made, and he saved his wrong. job. And the guy who's done a good job with no. his job is getting fired. You name me who your favorite coach is. I'll tell you where they missed. And then I want you to tell me on this show they should be they should be fired. Bill Belichick. Have you seen Bill Belichick's draft history? He's but terrible. He's, you said coach, not GM. GM is. It totally doesn't different. matter. He's also the GM. He picks his players. I know, and he's been horrible as a GM. Exactly. So should he be fired? Should he be fired no, as the GM because, of the Patriots? Because his job as a head coach, the number one job in his silo is to win football games, and he's won plenty of them. As a GM, your number one thing is if you have to hire the head coach, that's your number one thing. And then after that, if your job, number one, is to pick the players, that's your role. And you get evaluated on the job that you're doing. Like Andrew Hawkins, you're a receiver. Your job is to get open and catch footballs. If you tell me, well, I know my playbook really well. That's not the most important thing in your job. Like, I don't really care. I can get a lot of people that know their playbook well. Your job, the most important thing you do is on third and seven to catch the ball at seven and a half yards and convert a first down. If you can't do that, don't tell me about the things you can do that are not as important for your job. So you're telling me that a team that has now gone 19 and 14 in the last two years, even with Tua at the helm, and they are turning the corner and they have a ton of picks because they didn't foresee Justin Herbert being as good as he is, which, might I add, every other team that picked in front of Justin Herbert, I can guarantee you at least half of them should have Justin Herbert instead of the quarterback they have. They Probably. should be fired. Everyone who picked, everyone before Patrick no, Mahomes, they should be fired. Point. No, that is the point. No, the point is if you have to fire one of these two guys, you fire the guy that didn't do his job well and you keep the guy that has been doing his job well. I'm not saying that you have to fire either one of them because they've had success. But if you think they, they can't get along, then you have to fire both of them because firing one and not both leads a situation the next time into encouraging a power struggle between your head coach and GM. And then those guys are going to not have incentive to work together and collaborate and figure it out. They're going to have the incentive to fight and have that power struggle and snitch to the owner to try to get the other guy fired because it's worked in the past. You're projecting your own experience from the Cleveland Browns on the other organizations. <laughs> and that's what we do on this show. We but project. I also agree. You should. I, it's funny because <laughs> we you. both agreed. Because I you feel like you're, you're defending the Dolphins well, from no, you're firing arguing. Brian Flores <laughs> and keeping Chris. I Greer. agree they should have kept Brian Flores. <laughs> I just disagree with the reason why you fired Greer is because he didn't pick Justin Herbert, and right. also that he didn't pick the lottery numbers for the owner that week to double his net worth for him. That's what I'm saying. Yes, that's a good point. So the question is, if you're in the situation of Stephen Ross and these guys are not getting along, what do you do? You fire both of them. Thank you. So we agree on that. So let's move yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> but then All I right. come out on Twitter and I'm like, Great. ooh, you SOBs firing the only two black leads of us. Yes. Oh, man, that would have been great. You, you, you would have had so many likes today? and so many retweets, man. You would have been so popular. You wouldn't have had to do any shows. Oh, you just throw goodness. one ad up there on your Twitter, and it would have paid for all those shows that you have to do today. I would have said, tune in to the Tom and Hawk football show today because I'm giving the Miami Dolphins hell. We would have had 72 million Black listens. Twitter would have been loving the Tom oh, and Hawk football God. show today. Brian Flores, th there's been a lot of speculation that he's going to be extremely popular and going to get a job really quickly. Do you have any potential landing spots for Flores? And because the Dolphins spot seems to be a really attractive head coaching job, who do you think gets the Dolphins head coaching spot? Two questions. Ooh, the Dolphins one is, is tricky. I actually don't have a, a, a very good answer for that. But I do think the thing about Brian Flores is when you look at these vacancies, I don't care if it's Raiders, Vikings. Bears, Jaguars. I could see him fitting in literally any of those, which to me is like the biggest telltale sign. 
you shouldn't have stock fired him, right? Because you can see yeah, him fitting in. It's like Tomlin. Like, where could Tomlin fit? Well, anyway, right. I need to coach. He's a lot like a, a young Tomlin. That's what I see with him. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like Brian Flores literally could fit in any of those. I don't think Jim Harbaugh makes sense. No. In Miami. I don't know if Eric, maybe Eric Bieniemy. Maybe they're looking offensive minded. I mean, it makes sense. Generally, I would say 99% of the time you should hire an offensive minded guy who can develop your quarterback, who can develop your offense and continue to evolve. Because if you don't and you go defense, that's great. But as soon as your young quarterback has success, you're going to have the Buffalo issue right now, right? Brian Dayball has done a tremendous job developing Josh Allen but he's probably going to get a head coaching job after this season. So now what do you do? Do you try to bring in a coach who pretends to be Brian Dayball? And we've seen that not work over and over again in the NFL, including in Atlanta when Kyle Shanahan left and they brought in um, Sarkeesian to try to be Kyle Shanahan, run his offense, didn't work. He got fired. You got to bring in a guy who is himself, who knows his offense, who can develop a quarterback, uh, and you know the details, the ins and outs of every little thing you want to do on offense. But the problem is, as soon as it works out, that guy goes and gets a job somewhere else. So you constantly have that turnover at the most important position in a franchise, which is that offensive coordinator, quarterback, guru type position. So there's rare instances that it works, especially when you have it more of a veteran quarterback, like when Mike Tomlin took over and you've got a great defense and you already have a really good quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger who can kind of weather the adversity and the constant turnover that you get at the offensive coordinator position when you do have success. But uh, outside of that situation, like generally speaking, I think you want to pick an offensive minded head coach. I disagree. I don't think you need to be offensive minded. I think you just got to have a leadership quality and every equation is different. I think everything you said is exactly right, but it's because those guys don't put together the right equations to get the job done. You don't, don't go hire your homeboy. That's like the biggest, that's the stupidest (laughs) thing you should do. And that's what they all do, right? You get the job and it's like, let me get my friend. Your friend does not mix well with you in the environment you're in and what this team needs. Go get Jim Codwell because he's an offensive coordinator. Who's probably not going to go anywhere. He's been successful everywhere he's gone. He'll be there as long as you're there. Freaking Detroit. Yeah. Detroit. What a bunch of idiots. You fired. This was basically what the Dolphins did with Flores. Like Jim Caldwell had great success there. And all of a sudden they're like, ah, we're we're Detroit. Sorry. Our standards are Super Bowl or bust. Like wait, since when? You guys have never even been to the Super Bowl. They haven't won a game since. Yeah. Here's a quick Jim Harbaugh take. So I had a bunch of friends that played for him in Stanford, played for him in the 49ers, some uh, friends that have worked for him and played for him in Michigan. And I think he's really good at kind of developing a culture. He's good in that CEO role. He's good as a communicator. He's not really an offensive guru. Like if you remember when he was in San Francisco, he didn't really wear a headset. He didn't really know what was going on on the offensive side of the ball other than to say like, run it, pass it, go for it. Like sort of almost like what you would expect from a defensive head coach or a special teams uh, coach who becomes a head coach, which is fine because I think he's really good at building that culture. But the problem is he just wears guys out. Like he just doesn't last that long anywhere he goes because he's good at building it up, but he's not good at maintaining because he doesn't know ever how to turn the page from a, we're going to tear this thing down and then we're going to build it up from the ground up with toughness and discipline. And then once he gets there, he doesn't know how to maintain that. And he just wears every single person in the organization out. And I think in college it works because you can be like the the king, the grand poobah, the Urban Meyer type. But in the NFL, there's too many people that have a say. There's too many people who have power. And then you have to deal with an ownership who when his GM or his player personnel people or even his star players keep complaining to him about how much they hate Jim Harbaugh, eventually that thing wears on him and he doesn't want to hear it anymore. And so he dumps him. And that's pretty much what happened in San Francisco because 
Barbara had a ton of success, but yeah. you know, they couldn't wait to run him out of town. It's funny because him and his brother seem like opposites to me. Like I feel like they're him totally and, different. Yeah. And John seemed like they grew up in two different sides of the world. Yeah, John John seems like a guy that you can totally connect with. Like it doesn't matter who you are on the team. You may not be able to sit down and talk like pop culture with them or something like that, but you can have a good conversation with every single person on the team because he's exactly who you expect him to be every single day. He's a great communicator. He loves football. He's tough. He's disciplined, but he has a heart to him. Whereas like Jim Harbaugh just seems like he's got way too much aloofness to him where he has a lot of those same characters as his brother. But I feel like if you tried to sit down with him and talk with him for more than like five minutes, you'd be like, this guy is just out there. And he might, <laughs> it might be kitschy and interesting in the beginning, but after a couple of years of that, you'd just be so worn out by it. I feel. It's funny that like he's not an offensive guru type. He was literally just a quarterback. He was NFL a star forever. quarterback in the NFL. Like I, everyone yeah. remembers Jim Harbaugh. Well, I think what we should do in one of these upcoming shows is we'll do a segment about our friends that we think should be hired as head coaches because oh. that's all sports media is. Everyone's saying about this coach needs to be here. It's always a, your boy. Right, yeah, because like, you know, if you said something on the air good about this guy getting hired, and then they get hired, you feel like he owes you one. Yeah. So then, when you need some of that inside information and that scoop, like that's exactly what he gets, which is which is a perfect point. And I think a lot of people that haven't worked in the NFL or NFL media don't understand. So when the Adam Schefter stuff came out, that like he was cozying up to the former GM, yep. Bruce Allen. And was basically like sending him his article, like, hey, make sure that everything is uh, accurate because they're writing about the lockout. Fact check it. Which he was doing that to like kiss his ass and patronize him. Not necessarily that, oh, here, write the article for me. But everybody was so outraged because, yeah, it's against everything that journalism stands for. But that's exactly how it works in the NFL. And I'm sure it it works in a lot of spaces because as an insider, especially, which we're not insiders, we're analysts. So let's make that distinction clear. Right. I don't pick up the phone and text message people like Schefter, Ian Rappaport do to try to get inside information about who's playing, who's not playing, where this coach is going. So I don't need to like cozy up to these guys and kiss their ass 24-7 and go to the combine and buy them beers because that's not my job. But that is your job when you're Adam Schefter. So in order for him to get the information from the GM about like what's going on or who's playing or like to be breaking news on every single thing every single day, they've got Mm -hmm. to do that quid pro quo constantly. And so that's just how it works in NFL media. And let me be very clear. I'm not a journalist. I am a personality. If I interview oh, someone wow. here, I am not wow. Bob Talk about ego am, just flopping it out of the I table. Am, there, Hawk. I love you it. know, I am a person. I am the star am of the Tom and Hawk football show. Please I am make an no mistake about that. Am, Good for you, man. I, I am that. an icon. Hawk, I think the next thing we need to talk about real quick as we wrap up the coaching conversation is Matt Rule. As of this recording he's not been fired but i don't know if you saw what cam newton said um after their game on sunday where he said the locker room was not committed lacked commitment attention to details and he said it it starts not only with the players but with the coaches which is not exactly a ringing endorsement for the face of the franchise to say about the current head coach so i'm curious your thoughts on matt rule and does he stay or does he go in Carolina? So it's two part. I take what Cam said with a grain of salt, right? Because I don't mm. think Cam's going to be back there next year, right? That's true. But maybe that's why you get the real tea from but him. But that's the other side of it. This is accurate because he's also like, I don't give a shit. Let me just tell you what the truth is. These guys aren't <laughs> any good. I've seen good coaches. I was under Bill Belichick. They suck. I suck. I'm out. Good luck, Carolina. 
So I, I, I think there's something to be said about it. And even like, even hearing some of the quotes from Matt Rule and, you know, like earlier in the year, he's like, you know, success doesn't happen overnight. It took Jay-Z seven years. Like, buddy, you're not getting seven years. What the hell are you talking about? You got, you better win this week. Otherwise you're going to, you're going to be back at, at Temple. Um, but yeah, I think there is something to be said there. Like players, when we've been in that scenario where you get to a point where you just don't give a damn and you start being honest. If we were honest with the media and our career about coaches, they would have known what they know now a lot earlier. Because there have been coaches that I've literally day one that I'm like, this guy is terrible. And they were getting all the publicity, all the, this guy is a guru. And literally from day one, we would sit in the locker room. We're like, yo, this guy doesn't know his head from his ass. So buckle up. It's going to be a long one. All right, and I know we just belabored the point of head coaching for 30 minutes, but the reason is on the Tom and Hawk football show, we love drama and coaches equal drama. You know what else equals drama? Quarterbacks. Quarterback drama, Joe. Are you into it? I'm here for that drama. Well, The Bachelor premiered last week. So in honor of The Bachelor premiere, uh, when all the QB rumors swirling around, let's play our new dating game. Draft Island Quarterback Edition. Just to pile onto the drama, we're joined by a very, very special guest, a man who knows about good football and especially about bad television. You know him from Extra Points and the Minus Three podcast. He's none other than the Tom and Hawk Football Show's own Dave Damashev. Yo, fellas, what's happening? What a pleasure Welcome to see you. Welcome to the show. Dave. What a, what, what a great, great pleasure. What a great pleasure. It's funny that you guys want to talk about dating and quarterbacks, and ironically, the one guy who is not a good answer for any pro football team is Jesse Palmer, who is the host of The Bachelor. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Hey, I like Jesse Palmer, former CFL quarterback. So Ooh. we have a handsome devil. Same here, right? We have so much in common. <laughs> you guys have so much in uh, common, Hog. <laughs> all right. So, Dave, we're glad you're going to join us for the show. I'm going to tell you about the rules. Here's how it works I'm going to throw out a hypothetical QB job that's opening this offseason. Three quarterbacks will vie for the attention of said team. And you have to tell me which quarterback makes for the best match. Does that sound good? I'm into it. All right. First up, this is the team you may know a little bit about, mm. uh, Dave Damachek. This is Pittsburgh. We'll be looking for a new man. Uh, they've only really known one love for about the last 20 years. So could their next great love be one of these eligible bachelors. Here we go. Here's the list, Dave. Russell Wilson. He's a good guy. On the rebound after years in a great relationship that slowly <laughs> seems to have fizzled. Um, Jimmy G. Hot guy. Very good looking. But not a whole lot of substance there behind the old, you know what I'm saying. But still, there's some upside if you can overlook some of the warning signs. And lastly, a young gun. Kenny Pickett, who plays in the same city as the person he is trying to win the love of. He's a mysterious guy, but makes sense, but it's a little bit of an unknown. So I'll let both of you chime in. We'll give the floor to Dave first since he's our special guest here. Well, I think the answer is pretty obvious. He's uh, he's still in the locker room there. It's Big Ben Roethlisberger. We're not letting him go. I <laughs> oh. No, no one's confirmed. I love I've loved the yeah. last uh I've loved the last 2-3 weeks where they say like 
this may be it for Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> and so him flying his family around the country to watch him play games and hugging his kids with tears in his eyes. Like, we don't know that this is it for him. I, I, I think it's, this is probably going to be it when, when they finally lose a game here. Um, listen, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Kenny Pickett. And let me say this to you. Mm. I don't want Russell Wilson. We don't need somebody coming off the rebound. We are not, we are not the Minnesota Vikings looking for the leftovers of someone else's icon, like the Vikings did with Brett Favre 12 or 15 Uh. years ago or whenever that was. We're not so pathetic in on the banks of the three rivers. Oh, please. We're just so desperate for a Lombardi trophy, whatever. We're not your trophy wife to come and get Russell Wilson. We mm. want to start fresh. Mm. And by the way, practically for what it's worth, the sweet spot, as you guys know, for a pro football team is to have the real deal, the actual franchise QB on his rookie deal. And be, I mean, the numbers bear that out. 20 of to there have been 20 Super Bowl appearances by the real deal franchise QB, but still on his rookie deal um, in years two through six. And then in the ensuing six years, only 16 Super Bowl appearances by guys that are into that big second contract, you know, the $100 million deal and all of that. The numbers bear out that what you want is to have the guy but he's still in his first few years. That's what Kenny Pickett is. And I'm not going to be choosy. If you want to give me a little Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter, okay. We can You're talk okay about that. that too. But I like the story, of course. Uh, I love the narrative of the pit kid walking across the uniform, put a locker room, taking off the blue jersey, putting on the black and gold one and staying <laughs> in it for the next decade and a half. I like that with James Conner as well. Um, but I, I would say I agree, not Russell Wilson. But not because Pittsburgh doesn't want him. I think I don't think Russell Wilson is going to want Pittsburgh. I, I mean, he's a he's a he's an entertainment icon. Could you imagine Sierra being down on uh, the south side of Pittsburgh on a Friday? I don't I don't I don't see it happening, dude. Check out, check her out, dude. She's hot, dude. She's hot. <laughs> hey, we should go up there and say hi. You think she'll come that. down? She come down and say hi. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna send I'm gonna send her over a beer, dude. Maybe she'll pay it. Dude, she's pretty. I'm nice. not going up there. Lisa's always up there with Sierra. Uh, Joe, who do you got there in Pittsburgh, man? Oh, uh, it's fun hanging out with a couple uh, Western PA guys here. Um, no, I, I agree with you guys. I think Kenny Pickett's the guy. It just makes too much sense. Um, but I'm also gonna poo-poo Jimmy G because you guys talked a little bit about Russell Wilson and. The reason Cleveland and Pittsburgh partly have such a great rivalry is because these cities are both blue-collar cities that are very similar as far as their fan base goes. And a hot guy like Jimmy G without substance is the opposite of who you want as your quarterback. If you're Cleveland, if you're Pittsburgh, you want a tough, gritty guy who plays through injuries. You want big Ben Roethlisberger. Jimmy G is quite literally the polar opposite of Ben Roethlisberger (laughs) all the way from the way he looks to the way he plays to the way he gets injured. Jimmy G, the reason they want to get rid of him in San Francisco is because he's always injured. He plays pretty well when he's in there, but availability is the most important ability in the NFL, and Jimmy G just doesn't have it. And that will not play well with the blue-collar crowd on the banks of the Three Rivers. Dude, look how handsome he is. He thinks he's better than us, (laughs) (laughs) I don't see Jimmy G in a Carhartt Union jacket anytime soon. Let's put it that way. If Big Ben is playing next year, I will cash app you every dollar in my bank account, Dave. Okay? (laughs) I said it on this show. 
I don't know how they would call those plays. He would literally have to like take the ball and go run it to the receiver. <laughs> what a, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to everybody has to do that? This is likely his last game as he's weeping. He's going, oh, goodbye, Pittsburgh. Like, we don't know. We hasn't not, said yet. We can never be too sure. All right, Joe, who do we got next? Denver, who hasn't had true love since Peyton Manning left town. No quarterback has treated them the way they feel like they deserve. They have a lot to offer a relationship. So which one of these guys is a good match for the Denver Broncos? Is it Matt Ryan? Who's kind of the boring guy, but he's not going to hurt you. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's going to be Mr. Reliable. Do you want Kirk Cousins? Who's a little bit more of the wild card guy? You never know what you're going to get, but when the lights are on, he definitely is going to have some performance anxiety. Then Mm. Aaron Rodgers, he's that midlife crisis guy, right? He's leaving his wife for you now. He's growing out the long hair. But he knows how to take you to the promised land. So who is it? And we'll start with Mr. Andrew Hawkins on this one. This is a tough one. Now, my son is on version three of his mock draft already. And in it, he is working on a trade right now that gets Denver Aaron Rodgers. And I agree. (laughs) It's got to be A-Rod because Matt Ryan, he's too finesse. Like, this is a defensive organization. They're tough. Matt Ryan wants to go to a place he can just throw it all over the yard. And honestly, the place I see Matt Ryan fitting, he'd have to make a decision of what he wants his legacy to be. Number two, Kirk Cousins. I mean, you got to be okay with being okay when you get Kirk Cousins. Even if he plays great, if he has a great season like he did this year, it's probably going to be followed up by a very bad season because he balances out everything he does in life. So it has to be Aaron Rodgers. The problem is, are you going to be willing to give up what Green Bay is going to demand for a likely two-time Super Bowl MVP who kind of still seems like he's in his prime. All right, Shaq, you're up. I, you know, this is the most desirable location to get dropped into, I think, in free agency this offseason. So Mm. if if Denver is a beautiful woman, then the answer is Pete Davidson. Oh, wait, no, is he not? (laughs) He would would be terrible as a a quarterback. Um, I'm with you about Kirk Cousins. Like, I just... He's fine, but he is sort of he it, it's sort of like prom, you know, how or or b- the big wedding day where they get the high end makeup person and the hair person to get you just perfect. That's what it must be for Kirk to thrive week in and week out. You must that the, the circumstances must be optimal or else it ain't going to work out for you. Aaron Rodgers is the right answer. I just can't imagine that if he wins the Super Bowl. That he's actually, I mean, are we ready for what this could be? Is if he wins the Super Bowl for the Green Bay Packers and then he sticks to his offseason jive about, I want out of here, how crazy that would be. I think, but we also know that he likes to make excuses, Aaron Rodgers. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Um, And so if he doesn't, if he catches the old man, Brady, in Lambeau and loses again, if he can't pass over the Bucks, he'll pass the buck to the brain trust in Green Bay. Like, see, they still didn't give me enough receivers. I'm out. So how this postseason goes is going to determine where and whether Aaron Rodgers even makes himself available here if he sticks with the old ball and chain or goes out looking for a new lady in orange and blue. I'm going to ride with the chances that he's going to stumble somewhere. The Packers are going to stumble. He will be available. He will land in Denver. The Broncos knew they were going to get him last draft. That's why they didn't take Justin Fields. 
um, when they had a chance to draft him because they knew this day was coming. It's Aaron Rodgers wearing the orange jersey. Yeah, if uh, Aaron Rodgers ends up going anywhere, I think it is going to be to the Denver Broncos, but there's no way that anybody's going to be able to give Green Bay the proper compensation to be able to pick up a two-time defending MVP of the NFL and potentially coming off of a Super Bowl victory with all the weapons and everything that they got going on. They are not allowing Aaron Rodgers to walk out of that building. And so for the Denver Broncos, I actually think Matt Ryan's the right guy because they believe their defense is good enough that as long as they don't have that guy in the big moment crumble and throw the critical interception, which is kind of Kirk Cousins' calling card, they feel like they can be competitive, get into the playoffs, and that's all the NFL is about right now. Get into the playoffs. If you get hot, you can win the Super Bowl. So I think they believe in Matt Ryan as their next quarterback. All right, next up, let's go down to New Orleans, who recently lost their dream guy, right? They've dated a few guys since. None have really felt right. They want something a little more long-term. Which of these guys could be it? Number one, Deshaun Watson, the second chance guy. Will he wear his flaws and grow in New Orleans? Matt Coral, quarterback of Ole Miss. He's a project guy. He needs some work, but can you make him great? And number three, Teddy Bridgewater, marriage material guy. You've known him for years. He's safe. Do you just say, hey, why don't we just get together? Dave, we'll start with you. What do you got? I'm going off the board. Off the board. Oh, I love it. All right, he's making his own rules. The guy who loves the guy who loves Drew Brees and Sean Payton and has made no secret about it is Russell Wilson. This makes a ton of sense to me. I hear you about where Sierra wants to live and doesn't want to live. The Rust Belt doesn't really make much sense there. Maybe New York City. Maybe with a new regime. The, the New York football giants make some sense for Russ, but I think NOLA, great music scene and everything Nola else for Sierra. I also do like the 2015 menage a trois. Um, okay. Because I think it would be super fun. Now, this isn't realistically going to happen, but still, whether it's New Orleans or some other uh, town in football America, wouldn't Jameis and Marcus Mariota be a nice message to the world. It's not either Marcus or Jameis. It's the two of them coming together <laughs> to make to make our yeah. football town sing. Wouldn't it be fun mm. if you could go Jameis and Mariota? That I think that would legitimately work for somebody if that worked out. But I do think Russ kind of likes the idea of playing for Sean Payton. That makes a lot of sense. Polly Emery is, is, more, is more widely accepted yes. now than ever. Mm. You can have two. We could all, it's a throuple going on in New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> Joe, word of the day. Joe, what do you get? I think Teddy Bridgewater. I think he comes back with Sean Payton. They've got Taysom Hill under contract, who's kind of the gadget guy, who kind of fills the blind spots of Teddy Bridgewater, which is, hey, I don't make a lot of mistakes, but I also don't make a lot of great big plays. And I think Sean Payton feels like with the defense that's one of the best in the NFL, he can work with that on offense. And then he doesn't have to give up a ton of draft picks to be able to bring that guy back. He knows exactly what he wants. And when you have a genius or quote unquote genius offensive mind as your head coach, they feel like as long as I get consistency, I can fit the pieces of the puzzle together to get back to that championship caliber. That's exactly who Teddy Bridgewater could be with him coming back to Sean Payton in New Orleans. The New Orleans Saints won't find love. And it's it's sad. Hmm. Oh, they no. won't find this true is an love. Unhappy ending. Um, because the person they should be with, they can never be with. They're two, they're from two different sides of the track. And it's it's Matt Ryan. It's Matt great. Ryan, he can sit back there. He is like a basically a different version of Drew Brees. He's used to playing indoors. It's what's best for him. It's what's best for them. 
but it's a forbidden love because imagine if Matt Ryan, Mr. Atlanta Falcon, Even in this day went and, and age, played so and sad. finished with the Saints for the rest of his life after he retired, he would have no home. They, his That's family right. would no longer accept him. And then the new girl, their family doesn't like him because they've hated him for forever. And it would it just wouldn't work out. And it's it's unfortunate. I agree with that. And let me say let me say this. I, I really do think it's sort of weird and desperate. I get it if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan for the last 40 or 50 years. You say, I don't care. I just want a Lombardi trophy. For real, Joe Thomas. I, I as a Steelers fan, I would never want Ray Lewis to be the missing piece for the Steelers winning a Lombardi. I'd be like, well, then don't give it. Then we don't need it if we have the arch rival. Joe Thomas. If Ben Roethlisberger were looking a little bit better than he is, but for whatever reason, the Steelers are like, all right, we're done. End of the road for us. Would you, as a Cleveland Browns fan and uh, obviously icon, would you be excited if Ben ben did one more year but put on the brown and orange and lifted the Lombardi? Would that be a deal with the devil that you'd be willing to make? I'm accepting all deals with the devil to get our first Lombardi trophy <laughs> oh in Cleveland. So let's just leave it right at that. Without okay. having to officially answer your question, the, me and the devil were on good terms to win a Lombardi right now. <laughs> Dave, it's all different right. for us because, number one, I mean, as bad as Ben has looked this year, I think his numbers are a lot better than Baker's, which is unfortunate. <laughs> which is pathetic. <laughs> and, and, and number two, um, Ben is already the the like winningest quarterback in uh, progressive field history. He's right now well, he's not on the baseball our all-time team, winning quarterback in the stadium. <laughs> First energy. And he's never played with us. So this that would be that would be an easy sell for us. All right, Joe, let's go to DC with it, man. Yeah, uh, DC is your classic serial dater. What a player those Washington yeah. footballers are. No That's quarterback history. lasts long in their life. And if they're thinking of settling down, which one of these guys do you think would be a perfect fit? for Washington. Would it be Baker Mayfield? He's the night in Vegas guy. He's fun for a night, but what type of future would you guys have together? Mm. Or could it be Cam Newton? Who's the, I swear I'm different this time now guy. <laughs> May he be humbled enough from his time with the big double B in New England? Or could it be Derek Carr, criminally underrated? He's the guy, when you get to know him, you absolutely love him and everybody around him loves him. You can take him home to mom and dad and Maybe he can be great eventually. We're going to go ahead and start with Hawk again on this one. Who is it? Of these three, Derek Carr is the best option. But I don't see the Raiders giving up Derek Carr. Derek Carr seems like he's finally found his stride. If you watch him play, he understands the NFL game. Like Even when he's not at his best, he knows where to go with the football. He has a control, a command. And I feel like he's just now going to start reaching his peak as a, as a quarterback. So I don't see the Raiders getting rid of him. So I'm going to do a write-in. I actually see... Jimmy G going to D.C. Because the D.C., Washington football team has a lot of pieces. They have a good defense. They're like the prototypical team that just needs a quarterback to get them over the hump. And I think, you know, Jimmy G being there, as, as, as well as he's played, he gets a lot of flack, but he still does game-winning drives. He still wins when you don't expect it. He's like 32 and 14 in his career. Like, he doesn't have to do much there. And he's already better than any option that they've had over the last couple of years. Well, it's not going to be Cam Newton. I always feel like Ron Rivera not bringing him to our nation's capital is the greatest indictment you could have of a quarterback. It's sort of like, yeah, you, I'm older than you guys. Do you remember the song when Phil Collins and Philip Bailey joined forces to sing about the easy lover? They warned each other and the rest of the world of fellas 
Don't be with this woman. She's an easy lover. <laughs> She'll get a hold on you. Like, so you're like, Cam Newton's yeah, intriguing, but Ron Rivera has already that, been with, right, well, he's already been with the easy lover, and he's like, I'm not touching that. That should mean to everybody else, like, there's got to be another option if the guy who's been with that guy for as long as he has doesn't want him, then that should be uh, a telltale for the rest of us. I think... I like the Jimmy G call. I don't love it, though. And that's kind of the problem with Jimmy G. Yeah. He's kind of like a more handsome Kirk Cousins. Like, okay. You never love him. Doesn't feel that inspired. Yeah, feels like uh, Mr. Right now. Doesn't feel like uh, yeah. the love of your life. I think in our nation's capital with Dak down in Dallas and Philly tracking towards a long-term relationship with Jalen Hurts, they need to keep up with the Joneses in their division and find their own Mr. Right. In the draft, I think it's Matt Corral. I think that's the guy mm. who's got an electric quality to him down in Ole Miss, got the live arm and all that. I think he's a good fit for Washington, whatever's. And by the way, how have we allowed that to go on as long as we have? <laughs> I, know there, I know there's a lot of fun to talk about with Urban Meyer and whatever else is going on, but how did we as a society allow a pro football team to go on for two years without a name. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Shame on all of us. We should all just call them what we want to call them. We should all pick our own <laughs> names right. and just call them the Washington Whatchamacallits whenever we feel like it. <laughs> Good endorsement opportunity. The, the Whatchamacallit candy bars. Just put that on the side of the helmet. Well, for me, I always look at who the head coach is, right? And when you have a defensive-minded head coach, they always want to win with don't turn the football over, play good special teams, play hard, and we're going to be disciplined. That's how we win, which usually means they want an old quarterback who's not going to turn the ball over. So my write-in candidate for this is Matthew Ryan. He's a guy who's been around the block. He's not going mm. to screw things up. He's going to be a good leader. And Ron Rivera loves winning those games 9-7 to seven and 6-3. to three, And that's exactly who you're going to get with Matt Ryan under center. Who would though, but who chooses you? You're a quarterback. Your decision-making is everything at that position. And he, they said, okay, Matt, you could be number one all the way up to number 19. What's your choice? Two. I want to be the number two. <laughs> Weird. Mm. You know what he told me once? Mm. I asked Matt Ryan, why number two of all the numbers? He said, because when I was growing up, my favorite player was Tim Couch. How many of us can rightly claim oh, wow. that we ended up being better <laughs> than our idol was at our chosen profession? Well, maybe he's just smarter than we are by picking his idol to be somebody that the bar was not exactly <laughs> much higher than Andrew Hawkins' shoulders to get over there. <laughs> number two. Oh, number two. All right. Well, Dave, we appreciate you joining us here on the Tomahawk Football Show, man. It's been a true pleasure. Great times. Enjoy watching both of you guys work and uh, and uh, anytime. Enjoy the off season, everybody. Yeah, thanks for being. Appreciate on, it, Dave. my friend. Where can we find you at? What shows? Give us give us some plugs. Extra points and minus three. Chopping it up, football all through the postseason, and then into basketball and hockey and whatever else you can bet on. Oh, I love it, man. Bet get that money, Dave. All mm -hmm. right, appreciate you joining us, my friend. A pleasure to see you, fellas. All right, that does it for this episode of the Tom and Hawk Football Show. Tune back again next week. Yeah, and don't forget to add the Tom and Hawk Football Show flash briefing in your Alexa app and then tell Alexa to play my flash briefing to hear the Monday minicast through your Echo device. And remember, our Monday minicast is now available everywhere for the rest of the football season. So you can listen to both our Monday and Wednesday shows on Amazon Music or wherever you listen. Joe, any closing thoughts? 
Yeah, I was wondering that restaurant that you went to, that you took your wife out to, that you had the little COVID scare. Was that a restaurant on the moon? <laughs> oh, no. no, because I hear it had great food, but no atmosphere. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, that'll do it. Take us out, Joe. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs>